In this week's episode, we're crossing over to the dark side. The dark side of managing our people, that is. Sorry for those who got excited and thought Darth Vader was on the end of the microphone. But we're joined by David Bates from Workforce Guardian, and he's going to cover the uncomfortable concept that sits in front of us when we have a poor performing team member. How do we move them on out of our business without fracturing any Fair Work Australia legislation, without costing a truckload of money and without all the stress and worry? Welcome to the Transformation Show, where successful pharmacy owners and technology partners help you to build a better 21st century pharmacy by embracing technology. Here is your host, Robert Starr. G'day everyone and welcome back to Transformation, the only dedicated podcast in the world where pharmacy and technology collide to bring you, the motivated pharmacy owner, all that you need to build your smarter, more successful 21st century business before it's too late. My name's Robert Starr, your host and guide on this fantastic journey of ours, all the way through to episode 99. Big show coming your way this week, and I don't just say that because we're tackling a very difficult area that we often feel very uncomfortable with, where we've got someone in our workforce that despite all the encouragement, all the training opportunities, coaching opportunities, we just haven't been able to get the best out of them, or they're not really a fit for our business anymore. And it's something that we often battle with, but by the end of this show, I'm certain you'll feel a lot more confident, and particularly with some of the strategies and insights that David Bates will share with you today. We're also going to have a masterclass coming up in the next few weeks as well that's going to go step by step a little bit deeper into this as well. So as you're listening along to David and the strategies and the insights that he shares, if you have any thoughts, any questions, even some scenarios, that you would love to throw at him to get his take on it and what you might want to do next, make sure you jot them down or, as I say, put them in your Evernote notebook and send them through to robert at robertstar.com and we'll be able to map out a fantastic masterclass that will offer you some practical solutions around those questions and uh, scenarios that you may be faced with as well. So today you'll really get that no-holds-barred strategy of how to exit a poor-performing team member legally as well. Now, before we get into that, we're going to have a little check-in. How's your week been? Has it been a good one? If you headed up to APP, do you still have the energy that you had when you got on the plane back from the Gold Coast? What have you implemented into your business been a little bit different? Have you taken yourself outside your comfort zone? And there's a fantastic quote we're going to share in our motivational quote of the week coming up after our chat with David Bates as well. So take hold of that one. And if you are struggling and you're feeling a little bit like whatever you're trying to achieve, is impossible, fear not, there may be light on the other side. And it may also show you that you're on the right path as well. I wanted to give you a little update as to where we are in the Transformation Lab, which is, of course, where I'm recording this show and all future shows as well. The whole Farm Active business has been moved here as well. And it's fantastic to have everything under one roof, as we hope to be able to provide you with a live, breathing community pharmacy platform that shows you what is possible with technology technology as we strive for best practice implementation. We can't promise we'll get it right all the time, but I promise you that I'll be the crash test dummy to show you what isn't working and what is as well. And I look forward to bringing you behind the curtain and behind the scenes in some fantastic interactive videos that I'm going to tell you all about right now. 
So if you've liked the Robert Starr slash transformation Facebook page, you may have already noticed that we're doing some Facebook live videos. Now I might even do a Facebook live video uh, throughout the course of this week explaining exactly what Facebook live is, but more importantly, how it can help you and your business to engage more closely with your patients and your local community as we're finding here in our experiments in the transformation lab. Um, but what it's going to offer you is a behind the scenes look at some of the technology that we're implementing here. It's not all physical technology. It's not all robotics. It's not all automation. Uh, there's a lot of soft bits of technology, apps that you can put on your phone, apps for the iWatch as well as, as I have and some of you have as well. Um, so we're gonna, I'm going to show you through all of those how we're using it and also some great use cases for how we can uh, get the best benefits out of them in pharmacy as well. So I'm going to share with you a little bit more in probably a Facebook Live video later this week around that. Um, but if you've been up at APP and you've already seen the page as well, you can check out a series of videos we've done already where I took you behind the scenes of some of my chats with some of the technology partners that are part of the Transformation Lab and uh, their technology being part of the infrastructure here in the community pharmacy. Um, and we had some great chats on Facebook Live. And I'll embed those uh, right here on the show notes at robertstar.com forward slash episode 99. So we're going to head into our interview with David Bates because it's a fantastic chat because it's a real example of how technology we can leverage it to solve some of our most complicated problems and nothing is more complicated than managing a poor performing employee. As we often see with resources spreading thin, people often are the easiest way to cut back on our profit and loss sheets. But it's not as simple as like deleting a cell on that profit and loss uh, spreadsheet. It's something that you need to consider very strongly. You need to understand your obligations. And David really takes us behind the scenes of how deep that minefield really does run as well. So you're going to get a no holds barred strategy of how to exit a poor performing team member legally. And as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be doing a masterclass on how you can get more out of this step-by-step step, uh, in the future. So make sure you jot your questions down and send them through to me at robert at robertstar.com as well. Our interview today is with David Bates, who's the Managing Director of Workforce Guardian, which is Australia's leading HR service for small business. And David wants to be known for providing a voice of speaking in plain English when it comes to human resources and employment law matters. David Bates, welcome to the Transformation Show. G'day, Robert. How are you going? Oh, very good, David. Very good. I know that our weather are poles apart at the moment, but uh, <laughs> in recent weeks, we've been uh, focusing more on the uh, positive side of uh, building and developing our pharmacy teams the right way. But uh, often as pharmacy owners, we often find ourselves on the dark side, and sorry for the uh, Star Wars reference there, <laughs> uh, but uh, managing our team does leave us on that dark side, and we end up pulling our hair when uh, we end up on the wrong side of our Fair Work Ombudsman, and uh, so Certainly, we might even be pulling our wallets out as well. Indeed, you might be, which is a really unfortunate um, factor or outcome, if you like, under Australian employment law. Far too many small business employers end up paying money out when they really shouldn't. So there are some simple things that they can do to protect themselves, and I'm sure we'll cover off some of those today. 
Yeah, and look, certainly um, the Fair Work Commission's uh, certainly a, a beast that uh, often is misunderstood, particularly in our industry. And uh, I think a lot of us who have been in pharmacy long enough probably remember back the uh, campaign that was run over about 2010 to, I think it finished up with a report that finished up at the end of 2013 that targeted pharmacies' compliance. And uh, certainly uh, reading back over those stats of a non-compliance rate of about 25%, it certainly shows we've got some work to do. Yeah, look, that's exactly right. And and that non-compliance rate really only referred to the specific things that the Commission uh, looked at, or I should say the Ombudsman looked at during that um, period of review. And there were certainly other areas of the legislation that had they investigated um, those, that non-compliance rate would have been much higher. Um, uh, look, I don't want to sound too pessimistic, but uh, unfortunately, the, the reality is if we were to go and visit 10 pharmacies this afternoon, we'd find, I reckon, 10 out of 10 are not compliant with all of their key obligations under the relevant legislation. And you can't really blame them. Uh, the legislation is so complex uh, and it's you know, so difficult to read. Um, I don't really uh, I don't blame employers at all, especially small business employers, for not being able to comply. Yeah, and I guess what what are the most common things that we we tend to you know miss out? I know that that particular report uh, showed out things like record keeping and uh, mm. wages and conditions were being breached for mainly pharmacy assistants. But you know, I guess what would be the the things that you know not not just uh, pharmacy owners but small business owners often overlook. Yeah, look, I mean, there's a couple of things which are consistent right across industries, regardless of, of what type of business you're running, whether it's a customer-facing business, a manufacturing business or something else. Uh, there are simple things like not having a copy of the award in the workplace or simply not even knowing which modern awards apply in the workplace. And that's a problem in itself because if you haven't identified the applicable modern award, if there is one, then there's no possibility of you having correctly classified all of your employees. There'll be no possibility of you having confirmed that classification level in writing and you know that's just the tip of the iceberg because after the modern awards we then have the 10 national employment standards where employers consistently still get some things wrong um, for example they might uh, cap out um, the taking of annual leave per year they might have blanket rules which say you can only have so much annual leave per year or you can't take annual leave until you've been here for say three or six months those things are generally not going to work anymore under the Fair Work Act um, and they're just, you know, some really straightforward and top of mind examples. But the complexity of the legislation really does make it virtually impossible for especially small businesses to comply, which is why getting plain English advice is so important. Yeah, and look, and certainly, um, you know, a lot of that complexity. I think we often uh, look at our government uh, as how they could how they could improve that and uh, change that so that it is a lot more, you know, small business owner friendly. And I guess as we've seen in in recent times, a change of government as well has that changed anything for the small business owner? And and where does it currently have us sitting? Yeah, look, oh, again, I don't want to sound too pessimistic, but I suppose I'm more of a realist than a, uh, than a pessimist. And that's, you know, we've had this government uh, in power now for a couple of years, uh, albeit with a new prime minister only in the last few months. But the sad reality is that for all of the talk about the government supporting small business, they're really completely overlooking what I refer to as the elephant in the room, which is reform of Australia's employment laws. Because it's all very well and good to give, and it's certainly a, a positive thing to give 
small businesses certain tax breaks or benefits at budget time, you know, reducing red tape. These are all fantastic things. But if a pharmacy can't afford to employ someone because of the applicable penalty rates, or if the pharmacy simply cannot comply with the 10 national employment standards because they are drafted in such a complex way and they are then penalised for some inadvertent breach, that's not an acceptable situation. And the government uh, isn't doing anything about any of those particular areas of concern. Um, and in fact, Robert, you know, just uh, yesterday, the Productivity Commission released its final report into Australia's employment relations system. Uh, that report totally misses the mark. Um, it, it talks about a whole range of reforms that could be made, but in my view, none of them are going to do anything to really assist uh, pharmacy owners, especially small business operators. So it's a real shame. Uh, I don't think that we're going to see any uh, key reform uh, in this area. And look, one last point to make on this is uh, Australia has by far the world's most complicated employment laws in the Western world. And that's not an acceptable situation. We've started to sort of think of this as the norm, as if every other country in the world has hundreds of modern awards and a Fair Work Commission, which has really lost all credibility. But that's not the case. We're unique. And until Australia really does something to to reform these uh, institutions and laws, we really are always going to have this struggle. Mm. And, and I gather, you know, certainly, you know, small businesses, individual businesses, but then there might be change of small businesses. We're seeing more and more throughout the news, whether it be the chains like your Pizza Huts and your 7-Elevens, mm. and, and it all revolves around this kind of legislation. But, you know, are there any great examples, you know, non-pharmacy, we love looking outside of industry for inspiration as well, you know, that are doing it well? And, you know, how are they doing it better than, you know, the most of us? Yeah, and unfortunately, of course, good examples don't make it into the press. So the one that we read about, the ones that we hear about, are always the ones, just like the ones you've mentioned, uh, where something has gone wrong. So 7-Eleven, for example, with the alleged uh, underpayment of employees, uh, the pizza chain with the apparent sham contracting arrangements, these are what makes the headlines. And unfortunately, we don't hear about uh, employers uh, doing you know, the right thing. Um, it, they just don't get the publicity. And just on that, you know, one of uh, one of my frustrations, I suppose, is we often hear about Australian businesses that are doing incredibly well, you know, economically or um, from a PR perspective, or they might be tech startups, all of these um, great or good news stories about, you know, successful businesses. But my bet is that if we were to then scratch under the surface and have a look at really what's going on in that business from an HR compliance point of view, guess what we'd find? We'd find that most of those businesses probably don't know which awards apply. They're probably not paying the correct penalty rates. Not not because they're trying to break the law, but because they simply just don't know what the legislation requires. So the businesses that I think are doing well are the ones flying under the radar. They're the ones who are just plugging away every day, trying to make a profit while still complying with the legislation. Um, and unfortunately, they don't make the headlines. Yeah, no, look, it's it's certainly an interesting one. And, you know, certainly in pharmacy world, you know, certainly following on from that campaign, we've certainly seen, a, I guess, a beefing up of our own internal communications, you know, the plain English guide to the pharmacy award that the Guild, mm -hmm. Guild have published, which has been probably not the greatest invigorating read in the world, but uh, certainly uh, gets, <laughs> gets you across some of the key issues and some of the templates we get provided through our quality care pharmacy program, as well as, I guess, what we're 
relying on to allow us to comply. But often in pharmacy, we utilise those systems and the templates when we hire someone, but we often don't then reference or review them and uh, look at, you know, perhaps when the award has changed or new uh, anniversary dates come up or penalty periods and uh, don't update our systems in that regard, which uh, is often leading, leading us, I guess, at risk as, uh, as, as that report did find. Absolutely right, because you know you can certainly go out of your way, as most employers do, to make sure that they're employing someone in full compliance with the legislation. Um, they might go through a, an exercise at that point of engagement, a checklist, if you will, things like providing a copy of the Fair Work Information Statement, making sure that the employee is assigned to the correct award classification if there is an award that applies, making sure, for example, um, that the employee is correctly identified as being a casual part-time or full-time. These are all things um, that an employer often does, especially a small business employer, does when they hire someone. But as you've just said, um, over that life cycle of the employee, that's when things always go wrong. So missing out on an employment anniversary date is a classic example. Here under the Fair Work Act in Australia, we have these minimum employment periods There is really no such thing as a probationary period anymore, certainly under the statute. And instead, what we have are these minimum employment periods. So in a small business, defined as any business with fewer than 15 employees by simple headcount, in those businesses, the minimum employment period is 12 months. So you have the ability to dismiss someone for any lawful reason, such as underperformance or misconduct, during that first 12 months. So if you don't go out of your way to set up some sort of system to remind you or to alert you when an employee is approaching that 12-month mark, you're really missing a trick because once it ticks over and they've been there for more than 12 months, you're really going to have a much harder time uh, removing that employee from the workplace if you do want to dismiss them. So it's during that life cycle that things do go wrong. And, and certainly, you know, that probationary period is often something that I think we uh, we probably hang on to far too securely, as uh, as I caught on one of your recent segments on Switzer. And uh, is it right that you know, if you employ someone, uh, even if it is within a couple of days, and you're just unhappy with the decision, um, that you can simply tell them, oh, "Look, it's not working out," and uh, never see the end of them again? Yeah, look, this is the real problem that we have with Australia's unfair dismissal laws because when they were introduced uh, in the Fair Work Act uh, and before that, back in uh, sort of work choices uh, era up until 2009, under work choices, small businesses were defined as businesses with 100 or fewer employees. And if you were a small business employer, which I would imagine the vast majority of people listening to this particular podcast would be, then they were completely exempt from the unfair dismissal laws. In other words, if you were a small business with 100 or fewer employees, you could dismiss anyone at any time and they could not bring an unfair dismissal case against you. Now, under the Fair Work Act, we have this new definition of small business, which again is fewer than 15 employees by headcount. And when that was introduced, the promise that we were given by the government was, don't worry, because the employee has to have been there for 12 months in a small business before they become protected from unfair dismissal. And that sounds great in theory, but in practice, there is absolutely nothing to stop someone who's maybe worked in your pharmacy for only one hour and then let go. There is nothing to stop them from going ahead and lodging the unfair dismissal claim. And the first stage of that process is a conciliation conference that's overseen by a fair work conciliator, and they're not interested in the law. 
they're not there to make findings of fact. What they do instead is they will encourage the employer to reach a settlement with the employee. And that means pay them money to go away. And that's why those of us in this uh, particular industry call it go away money. And that's an outrageous situation that small businesses let someone go before they have completed the minimum employment period and then end up paying them money to go away even though that person never even had the legal right to bring the claim in the first place. That's just one of the really outrageous elements of our employment relations system that no one is doing anything about, and it's not good enough. Yeah, well, certainly even as we were discussing before we hit record this morning, you know, there was that case that you mentioned of uh, someone who's never worked for an employer lodging a case of unfair dismissal. And, uh, yeah. you know, that is absolutely absurd and uh, and certainly something that we would never wish on each other and, uh, you know, certainly something that hopefully with the recent change of Prime Minister uh, we're actually able to, uh, you know, I guess get, get a great attraction in. Yeah, I mean, and it would be such an easy fix. All that's required is for the Fair Work Commission to change its process so that when an application for unfair dismissal is lodged and received by the Commission, all they need to do is read the application and see if the employee was eligible to lodge the case in the first place. And if they're not, instead of listing it for a conciliation funded by the taxpayer, why not simply send a standard letter back to that person saying, you don't qualify? Yeah. It's so simple. And, and on the other side of things, as many colleagues have mentioned to me, that you know that the whole documentation process, the system, they're just like, I don't have time for that. So if I even want to get rid of someone who's really under my skin, I can't do it, we'll just make them redundant and uh, be able to avoid that whole process. But as, as you might share with us, it might open another can of worms as well. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's because under the Fair Work Act, a non-genuine redundancy, which is the kind of situation you've just described, a non-genuine redundancy is treated in exactly the same way by the Fair Work Commission as an unfair dismissal. So a redundancy, in order to be genuine, has to meet a couple of criteria. The first is that the work being done by that employee is really no longer required by the employer. The second is that the employer has to meaningfully consult with the employee in accordance with any applicable modern award. And the third is that all opportunities for redeployment are fully considered before the redundancy is confirmed. So in cases such as the one you've described, which is the classic case where an employer just decides, look, it's going to be too hard, it's going to be too much work to try and performance manage this employee out of my shop. What I'm going to do instead is I'm going to declare their position redundant. Well, if they do that, and it doesn't meet that criteria, which it won't, then that employee will succeed in their unfair dismissal claim. And that's going to be even more expensive than going through a proper redundancy process or even a proper performance management process. So that's not an easy way out. There is no easy way out. The rules are the rules. The trick is to know what the rules are and to work in accordance with them. And if you do that, you'll be okay. Yeah, it's it's such a complex maze and I guess the biggest question that's then right in front of us is that as a pharmacy owner, how can we lawfully exit a poor performing team member? And as you mentioned there, there's a lot of hard work, but you know, where would you start on that journey? Absolutely. So the first thing to note is that minimum employment period. So if you've got 15, uh, sorry, fewer than 15 employees in your pharmacy, remember you've got 12 months to decide if someone's the right fit. If they're not, you can let them go for any lawful reason, such as um, not meeting your reasonable expectations by simply giving them one week's notice. So if the employee has gone beyond that 12-month period, what you need to do is clearly distinguish in your mind as to whether or not you're dealing with a performance-related issue 
or whether you're dealing with a disciplinary issue because they're two very different things and they should be managed separately. So I'll give you an example of each. A performance management issue would be an employee who, for example, perhaps they aren't great at talking to your customers. Maybe they've got a way about them which uh, rubs your customers up the wrong way, doesn't make them feel very valued when they come into the pharmacy. Now, that's a performance issue. And so you deal with that via training or coaching, um, you know, some sort of um, maybe support. There are different things you can do. But that's not a disciplinary issue. A disciplinary issue would arise if the employee is exceptionally rude to you or deliberately rude to customers or if they're constantly late for work and they have no excuse for it and they actually don't care that they're late. These are disciplinary related issues. So you need to distinguish between those. And if you have a performance-related issue, then what you should do is start the performance management process. And there are guides that you can follow, that you can download, certainly services like Workforce Guardian. Um, we provide those sorts of services, and you work through them step by step. Same for performance management. You need to, Sorry, for disciplinary action, you need to do the same thing. You need to begin by having a meeting with the employee. It might be a verbal warning that you give. It might be a written warning. Um, and this is a really um, good time just to bust one of those HR myths that's constantly out there, which is you have to give an employee three written warnings before you dismiss them. That's a complete uh, myth. doesn't apply under the Fair Work legislation, but your process does need to be fair and reasonable. So if someone does something incredibly bad in your workplace that falls short of say, serious misconduct, then you can go ahead and issue a first and final written warning right away. You don't need to go through a process leading up to that. Um, but the key thing is to work through a fair and reasonable process and, as you indicated, Robert, to keep records. And they don't have to be, you know, war and peace. You don't, you don't have to write the Star Wars script uh, in order to uh, make sure that you're compliant. But what you can do is simply send yourself emails along the way documenting what you've done and keep them on the record because those emails are time and date stamped, they are definitive, and they will go a long way towards protecting you if a claim is made down the track. Well, certainly, I think, you know, it's, 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 it's a process, I guess, for everything when you do it successfully. But I think for a lot of us, we'll be looking at that and thinking, well, you know, isn't there a shortcut? Isn't there something that we can do to, you know, get to the, I guess, be compliant, but not have to, you know, I guess, put so much time into it? Because I guess at the end of the day, when we, when we don't recognise, and that's what we've been discussing in recent weeks, people as our greatest asset and only treating them maybe third line beyond beyond our store, our suppliers, our customers, um, and in really undervaluing them and then undervaluing the processes behind it, um, it can often feel like a, you know, an unnecessary process. But now that we bring that to the fore and we value our people as you know, probably the most important people because essentially our businesses won't run without them, how do you actually get that into a, you know, an everyday schedule? Do you need to have an HR consultant? Do you need to have an HR manager working part-time to ensure that compliance? And is it worth it? Look, I don't think you need to have, especially in a small business, I don't think you need to have a, a full-time or even part-time HR person in your business because in this uh, day of you know technological advances and everything being based on the cloud, there are countless cloud-based HR services which can support you and which can make sure that your business is compliant and they'll come at a fraction of the cost of hiring an HR person in your business. Um, and there's just two really key points I'd like to make on this actually. Um, the first is that it's really critical to note that Australia is unique. So adopting those you know, traditional HR type approaches that are often used overseas, are trying to adopt them and applying them to an Australian business is pointless because in Australia, 
all of the flexibilities that exist in other countries that allow you as the employer to reach mutual agreement with your employee about a range of things, those flexibilities don't exist. We have a very regulated and strict employment system. So don't try and adopt overseas HR practices. And the second thing is there is a big difference between HR and uh, what I call uh, proactive HR and reactive HR. Proactive HR is where you've got access to proper and compliant policies and you make sure that they're in your workplace. You've issued compliant contracts. You know what your rights are as an employer and you're fully compliant with the 10 national employment standards, for example. A good proactive HR approach would also mean that you're completely across your general obligations under the applicable modern award. Now, reactive HR is all that stuff that happens after the fact. So, you know, someone um, has a fight with someone and they feel very upset and so you console them and then you try and have a conversation with the employees. You know, these are all the traditional old school HR approaches. And in a small business, there are really good cloud-based proactive HR services that are available at a fraction of the cost. And those services will make sure that you're fully compliant. But when you're looking at them, the only thing I'd say about them is make sure that the system you're looking at is based in Australia or at least has been written specifically for Australian employment law. Because again, using a system which is just off the shelf from an overseas uh, jurisdiction will be useless because it will not comply with Australia's laws. Mm. And certainly, you know, there, there would have been many cases of small businesses who have come to perhaps someone like yourself in Workforce Guardian, you know, with all of these issues and have to, you know, implement the systems that you prescribe as well. And, mm-hmm. and uh, could you share with our listeners some of those case studies where, you know, you've seen that change dramatically where someone of non-compliance um, perhaps has been able to improve significantly without, you know, a huge amount of time and effort? Yeah, look, absolutely. We had one client who came to us a couple of years ago and they were uh, a business which had already been investigated, in fact, by the Fair Work Ombudsman. So um, there are two key government agencies to be aware of here. The Fair Work Ombudsman, who you can think of as kind of like the police on the beat. They're the ones who go out and investigate employers and prosecute. And the Fair Work Commission, which is the employment tribunal where uh, unfair dismissal cases, for example, end up. Now, the Fair Work Ombudsman had conducted an investigation, quite an extensive investigation, into our client's business. It had run for well over a year. And as a result of that, that client, of course, wanted to make sure that they never went through anything like that again. And after spending a year dealing with that investigation, they subscribed to our services. Um, $950 a year uh, is the cost of our uh, entry-level HR system, uh, cloud-based HR system. They implemented that. That included unlimited online HR advice and support from our team of experts. So they were able to send through all of their HR questions to that team at no additional charge. And they were able to achieve compliance. And I go and see that client now. Um, They're based uh, here in Sydney where I am. So I actually am able to physically visit their office every so often. It's not far from where we're based. Um, And it's amazing to see the transformation. They went from a business that had endured this year-long investigation into non-compliance, which was accidental, hadn't done anything on purpose, Um, And they've now turned into an industry leader, Uh, absolutely best practice HR, fully across their awards, uh, fully across what their obligations are, and in fact, are now an employer of choice. So it's very easy to make that switch, but you do need to know what your obligations are in order to do it. And that's the trick. 
Yeah, and, and I guess, you know, knowledge, knowledge is always going to settle the nerves and remove that frustration. And, uh, you know, for owners looking at this, you know, we've often, you know, as we've, we've probably quite blessed compared to perhaps most industries, we've had a great um, resource within the Pharmacy Guild of Workplace Relations. I guess mm. probably over the journey, we're probably, you know, as you mentioned, they're probably looked at it more as a reactive solution uh, because we'll, we'll call uh, the girls there and, you know, usually as a result of a problem surfacing rather than being proactive. And um, certainly, I guess, where our processes haven't brought um, these issues forward um, is something we should be looking at on a periodic basis, particularly to do with reminders and anniversary dates and uh, also changes in the legislation, keeping abreast of what's, what's you know, required of us uh, would certainly uh, you know, get it, get us to a point where we're obviously going to be a lot more confident if we can get those processes in place. But I guess for for the average person listening to this, who's you know perhaps hasn't got those systems in place, you know, what would be you know if you had to do two things in a in a pharmacy business today to improve the compliance and the process, what would those two things be? Well, the first would be to make sure that you are familiar with the modern award that applies to your pharmacy and to your employees so that you've got a copy of it in your workplace and you understand what your obligations are within that. And the second thing would be to make sure that you know about the 10 national employment standards that you and I have have mentioned a couple of times already during this particular podcast. Just doing those two things, reading up on the NES, the national employment standards, and understanding the applicable modern award they will go so far towards protecting your pharmacy from the risk of underpayment of wages claims or indeed prosecution and penalties for breaching the Fair Work Act. Um, Really, those two are your starting point. And then once you've got that foundation absolutely right, you can then go on from there to look at things like, you know, uh, avoiding workplace bullying and harassment and discrimination, um, making sure that you become that best practice employer. So there are things you can do beyond that, but until you've got that foundation right, you can't really build anything on it. And the NES and the Modern Award are the two starting points. Yeah, yep. And and on the up opposite side of things, if you happen to be in the unfortunate position of uh, a claim being lodged, um, is is it a foregone cause that you're simply going to have to pay that go away money, or um, what else could you be doing? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, one of the things that we often say here at Workforce Guardian is that there's a lot of things that our team can do. Our team of HR experts are really fantastic and they can do so many things to help employers. One thing they can't do is time travel. <laughs> they can't undo something which is already done. And it's a real shame for us when we hear from clients who have already um, dismissed someone without getting any advice beforehand. And so unfortunately, we can't undo what has been done. We can only then limit the damage. So our advice is always to get advice before you do anything. So don't dismiss someone or don't even threaten to dismiss someone until you've obtained advice from someone about how to go about that process. And if you've done that and a claim is lodged against you, you've got a far, far better chance of succeeding against that claim if you've followed the advice that you were given beforehand. So you follow that natural process and hopefully that set you up with the best possible defense. It's not a foregone conclusion that you're going to have to pay out um, you know, a settlement. In many cases, though, to be really frank, it is better to make a settlement payment at the conciliation stage than to try your luck going all the way through to the arbitration process at the Fair Work Commission. Um, because let's not forget, Robert, that the Fair Work Commission 
I mean, it, it's a tribunal which has really had its credibility stretched in 2015. Um, for those listening to the podcast who maybe don't, uh, you know, uh, like I do, uh, uh, wait with bated breath for each edition of the uh, Industrial Relations Gazette so I can read about the latest developments, the one thing that they should know is that this year saw uh, what we call the Vice President Michael Lawler scandal. This was the Vice President of the Fair Work Commission, one of them, who took nine months of fully paid sick leave uh, on his annual salary of $435,000. He took nine months leave, and during that time he was assisting his partner, uh, Kathy Jackson, in her legal defence, although it didn't really help because she was uh, found effectively to have embezzled money from the former union that she led, and now she's been ordered to pay $1.2 million in compensation. So... You know, the the absence of the vice president for nine months on fully paid sick leave while he was undertaking that task, legal though it certainly was for him to take that leave, it really just leaves a bad taste in everyone's mouth because that's who you're going to be arguing your unfair dismissal case before. This is a tribunal which, you know, is is quite damaged in terms of its credibility. And for a small business employer, my advice is always do whatever you can really to avoid ending up there. Yeah, well, certainly, uh, you know, commission members are not excluded from compliance, and uh, <laughs> and, and certainly, uh, you know, that that that's that, you know, l- l- you know, I think, you know, quite rightly, there, you don't want to be, uh, I guess, open to the possibilities of what may happen once you land there. Um, but you know, what's on the what's on the horizon though? Because uh, I, I know we don't want we always try to focus on the positive and where mm-hmm. things may head. So I- within within our current current set of government and people involved, you know, where could you see this going over the next few years? Well, I mean, I, I do uh, sincerely hope that the review into modern awards, which is currently going on now and has been running for two years, I'm, I, I'm you know, hopeful that at some point they will um, make it easier for small businesses to comply. Um, certainly my suggestion, one thing I would love to see happen, not necessarily is going to happen, but um, something that I'm very passionate about is if we are going to retain uh, the current modern award system, I wholeheartedly recommend the government introduce a dedicated small business modern award because one of the main reasons that small businesses don't comply with the modern award system is firstly, they can't find the correct modern award for their business and secondly, the awards are just impossible to read. So you're um, lucky, those in the pharmacy industry are lucky that they've got the plain English guide that's been published but wouldn't it be so much better if you're running a small business with just a few employees in your pharmacy if there was a dedicated modern award that recognised your unique requirements as a small business? That's something I'd love to see happen and I really do remain hopeful that the new Minister for uh, Workplace Relations, Senator Michaelia Cash, I remain very hopeful that she will do something about uh, this misuse, if you like, of the unfair dismissal laws, because that would go so far towards making it easier for small business owners in this country, pharmacy owners in this country, to manage their business successfully and to remove people who aren't meeting their reasonable expectations. Um, they're the two things that I'm, I'm sort of have my focus on, um, and only time will tell, of course, whether either of those come to fruition. Yeah, yeah. And I guess as I always love to uh, ask our guests on the show, and it doesn't have to be Fair Work Commission related, uh, mm. what would be, you know, the biggest game changer that, uh, you know, if you had your pick of time and resources, uh, would you love to see in pharmacies and small businesses today? Look, uh, I think just knowledge. I would love them to have access to the knowledge that they need, the resources that they need in order to be able to comply. 
And, you know, in our country, we've got so many different um, complicated pieces of legislation, you know, for a small business. We've got, uh, we've got the employment laws, as we've discussed in this podcast. We've got the taxation legislation. Um, you know, we've got uh, environmental legislation, a whole bunch of stuff, workplace health and safety. Um, it would be really nice if these could be streamlined um, and made consistent and then clearly communicated to small business owners so that they could get on with the job of running their business and employing Australians rather than constantly running around in circles trying to comply with all of Australia's disparate state and federal legislation. So knowledge, that's the number one thing I'd love them to have access to, the number one game changer. And I think we're on our way there to be to end on an optimistic note. I think we are on the way there because thanks to the cloud, all of this stuff, I mean, if you think about the Workforce Guardian service, you know, the types of resources that we offer and the support that we offer used to only be available to big businesses who could pay a huge amount of money for it. But thanks to the cloud, we can put these things into a subscription-based service, you know, for $950 a year. That, that's a game changer because it makes it possible for small businesses to access the resources that big businesses have always taken for granted. So we are, I think, in a, heading in a positive direction in terms of being able to empower small business owners, empower those who are opening pharmacies or running pharmacies today to comply, not just with employment law, as you mentioned, but with all of their general obligations. Um, and that really will make it a, a much more uh, exciting prospect for people to open up a business and employ people. Oh, absolutely. And as an industry, we're going through transformation and, you know, going into that patient-centric pharmacy model and uh, where we want to be spending our time is with our patients. And uh, all of these things that run in the background and often distract us, we want to keep those to a minimum. But, you know, as owners of businesses, we've got to obviously maintain our responsibilities. And uh, it's great to hear of services like yours and, uh, you know, certainly ways that uh, can turn the complex into the simple. Um, Absolutely brilliant. And David, it's been fantastic having you on the show today. I really appreciate that. And we uh, look forward to following your journey and uh, Workforce Guardian journey and hopefully have you back in the not too distant future. Thanks very much, Robert. It's been a pleasure to be here. I appreciated the invitation. Thanks, David. Well, I'm sure you, like me, are feeling a hell of a lot more confident in managing these situations in the hope that they never do come up in our businesses. But if they do, at least we've got a much deeper understanding as our obligations as pharmacy owners, but also some of the things that can go wrong just by ignoring certain aspects of our responsibilities. My top three learnings, well, the first one is and this is a massive one, is the under six or 12 month probationary period is no 100% guarantee that you'll be able to terminate a poor performing employee without any consequences. As David shared with us, you might even have someone who's been with you for only a couple of hours that might take you to a fair work tribunal and you may be pressured into providing a settlement where really they've got no leg to stand on and it really does become a disruptive force within your business. So really really do think about this and uh, our third key learning which I won't jump ahead to just yet I think really reflects the mindset we need to take into it. Number two, and this is a really practical one as well, send yourself emails or even audio memos, which is something I love to do, and basically document every, all the steps that you've taken, all the conversations, date, time stamp them, because this will help to, for you to build your case should you end up in one of these tribunals, which of course we all do all of this preparatory work in the hope that we don't end up in those situations. And number 
three, which is the mindset, take a proactive approach to managing your people rather than a reactive one. We're very quick and they're fantastic to work with, the girls at the Workplace Relations Department at the Guild, but quite often, even from the discussions I've had with them, you get reactive conversations. And there's so many things that we could be putting into place, systems, processes, onboarding processes, induction processes that we could be putting a lot more meat around in order to prevent some of these issues from coming up. And uh, I do believe, as our guest Cetal Gill back in episode 91 and 92 shared with us, if we provide a really robust induction process, it should really dictate at that point in time whether someone is a great fit for our business. So if we take that approach, I don't think we can go wrong. And that brings us to our transformation motivational quote of the week, which comes from the late Nelson Mandela. And the quote is, it always seems impossible until it's done. I love that one. It's just one where you might feel very overwhelmed with a particular situation, something new that you might be trying in your business, a new direction, a new strategy that just seems like it's an insurmountable challenge until you actually do it. And once you've done that, it all seems very, very familiar and very easy. So it sometimes is a fantastic place to put ourselves in that position of discomfort because we know we're actually doing something new in our business to take it forward as well. Next week, we've got episode number 100. If I could put streamers in the background, I would. Um, it's going to be a solo show, which I have promised for a little while. And it's going to be dedicated to bring together some of the biggest key learnings from our first 100 shows together since 2014. And if you've been with us since episode number one, thank you so much. I appreciate it more than you know. And particularly when I get these impromptu discussions that came up at APP where people were sharing some of the great things that they've learned from the show but more importantly, things that you've applied into your business with great success. I love hearing those and I couldn't get enough of them. And I'm also going to talk about in 2016, I guess, what are the biggest trends and influences that I'm seeing right now that I believe will shape and mould our pharmacies in the next two years? I won't go too far ahead. We have been all the way to 2050, particularly in episode 50 with Morris Mizalowski. I won't quite go that far, but some of the biggest things that are coming up very, very shortly and things that uh, no doubt you will be hearing about through the Transformation Lab as well. Leave a comment in the show notes if you've loved this week's show. There is always space at the bottom and I loved reading them and responding to them. And our guests like David today are only too happy to respond to your questions individually. And particularly this week's show in sending your questions in ahead of our upcoming masterclass as well. Any thoughts, any questions, any dark arts tactics that you'd love to know about particularly around these uncomfortable situations, send them in and I'll make sure that David can offer you some practical solutions in our upcoming masterclass as well. Have a great week, everyone, and I look forward to speaking with you again next week. Bye for now.